0: Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long. They believed it would stay buried. Season 4. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer. Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Daniel fielding in 2019 researchers at Boston Bay college studied failed serial killer attacks tied to relentless and found that 77.2% of them occurred within four years of the film's 1989 release until the advent of digital streaming. The only way to see relentless was to get your hands on a rare VHS and then later a DVD copy. But over the last five years, since Amazon launched its Prime Video service and included Relentless in its library, poorly executed, attempted serial murders have ticked up. We are going to talk to a victim of one of those botched murders on today's show. But before we do that, I want to welcome my co-host for this week, Lydia Coffey Mate. Hi, Lydia.
1: Hey, Dave you doing today?
0: I'm good. How's it going?
1: You know, things are going really, really swell. I had a new discovery this week. What is it? Well, you know, I've been doing a lot of home cooking, right?
0: Uh-huh. Home chef.
1: Exactly. So I frequent um, the website of Triple B. Triple B. Yeah. Bed, Bath & Beyond.
0: Uh-huh. I was going to say Better Business Bureau.
1: Oh, I like them too. I follow them on Facebook. Uh, but no, but triple B, I love them so much. And so I get like these fancy little emails and they let me know like what's on sale, like what's hot right now. And so one of the things that was listed as like hot, like two weeks ago was these little silicone plates and you like, you take baker's chocolate or you can do like whatever kind of chocolate you like, just not the one with the almonds cause they don't melt nice, but you use those in the silicone molds you end up making like basically like a little chocolate ball and you can fill that chocolate ball with lots of treats. You know, Christian and I, we've been experimenting and we've been trying different kinds of milk, like soy milk, almond milk, oat milk, goat milk, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we're trying to make like one of those like vegan friendly versions of hot chocolate. And I'll tell you what, it really was. It just felt so fun. You And you put all the little fixins inside the chocolate ball that you make. So like cocoa powder and a little bit of, if you wanted some, you know, marshmallows, depending on your preference. And if for the vegans, you had to get the vegan ones. Those are in a very special section of the store. I had to talk to my friend Chuck to get inside and, you know, find the right vegan ones. It's good
0: to hear that you're You guys continue to experiment with the uh, home cooking.
1: It's really good. Oh, and something so crazy, I have to tell you. Yeah. So, Okay, so you remember when I was on Relentless and I was one of the assistant to the producers, Paul Hertzberg? Of course. I got this really weird letter from his nephew, Lindsey Hertzberg, who was saying that he didn't ever feel like him and his relationship with Paul were – with his uncle, that they were comfortable enough – for him to express the feelings that he had had, like after post watching relentless, and back then, like Paul, you know, as the producer, he got many, many a vHS copy of the movie, and so he just sent them all to out to all of his friends' families and loved ones, and you know, Lindsay was one of them, and he said he really, really struggled that after he watched the movie, he absolutely wanted to follow down a similar similar path. If you're, you're picking up what I am throwing down.
0: Wow. And so he was confiding in you in this letter?
1: Yes. the app, Yes. The letter it's, it specifically says you may not remember me, but I'm the one who painted your toenails on the set of relentless when your legs were going to be featured, but then we're not, it, it, you know, editing happens and myself and my legs were not featured. But, of course, my name is featured in one of the pans through the phone book, picking out you know whose name is going to be the next murdere <laughs> and he 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 just felt like clearly comfortable with me after that experience of painting my metal tarsal toes, and I thought that was really sweet that he reached out to me, but to be honest, like, I haven't written back yet.
0: What are you going to say <sighs>
1: I feel a little bit responsible, you know, because the message that this movie was trying to, you know, send this this horrible, horrible craze that people wanting to become serial killers, the thing is, is I don't know, I feel like I've I've I have this type of immunity. It never hit me. And so I feel this type of responsibility for those who it did affect, but for myself and I worked so closely you know, on the movie and I've watched it several, several times. But the thing is, is I've never watched it in succession.
0: What do you mean? You haven't watched it two times in a row?
1: No, I've never watched it all the way through. Oh. So I feel like there's some, maybe some type of trick that like, if you watch the first part and the end part and then the middle part, maybe you won't have these crazy intense urges to want to, you know, be a murderer
0: yeah that's a good question i've always wondered if these kind of subliminal messages in the movie are intended to hit everybody or if they are for select kinds of psyches
1: i think that's a really really good question to keep discovering because honestly like i mean yeah there were plenty of parts working on the film and working with you know lustig and judd nelson that i felt like oh this is a little creepy but i never left and felt like mm, i definitely want to wring someone's neck for a reason other than something that was warranted
0: yeah of course the normal things of exactly life. yeah well i think that's a question to keep an eye on i wonder uh, if we ever got william lustig on the show what he would tell us about what the intent was the original intent of the subliminal messages was in terms of the audience.
1: Yeah. I would be very interested in that because honestly him and I, we didn't have a lot of face-to-face interactions and honestly my heart started beating a little bit fast as soon as you mentioned like possibly like the thought of even having him on the show because I, I do have a lot of questions for him and especially like, why did my part in the film get cut out? Yeah.
0: I mean, that's important to find out. Yeah. Well, let's get to our guests. Unfortunately, the scheduled guest that we had this week, Yazoo City, Mississippi based home accent salesman, Nikolai Morozov was unable to make it. Nikolai was an apprentice to the relentless set decorator and has a list of prop requests written by the film's director, William Lustig, labeled things I need for subliminal cues to trigger murder. But sadly, Nikolai wrote to say he confused some home decor terminology last week at Furnitureville, where he specializes in throws and poofs. And it seems he misunderstood that a throw is actually a kind of casual blanket that you might uh, wrap around yourself to get cozy while watching The Good Place or The Great British Bake Off.
1: Oh, God, they make really, really amazing stuff.
0: Or you could throw a wrap around yourself and get cozy while watching another one of William Lustig's films, like The Violation of Claudia or Maniac Cop. Anyway, despite being a home accents professional, Nikolai was confused about the term throw and began throwing poofs around the showroom floor at customers and was fired. Actually, from Furnitureville this week. So he is looking for a job and chose to take a pass on being a guest uh, on today's show. However, we were very, very lucky to, at the very last minute, set up an interview with an amazing guest who has an incredible story. Joining us from her home in Chevy Chase, Maryland, Alicia Nicely is here. Alicia, welcome to Optophobia.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great that you were able to make it at the last second. We really appreciate that. In my notes here, it says that you are originally not from Chevy Chase, but from St. Louis. Is that St. right? St.
2: Louis, Missouri. Yes. Uh-huh. I grown and raised there, right by the arch.
0: Oh yeah! Tell us about growing up in St. Louis. What are...
2: um, it's definitely very Midwest. There's not like a huge city environment like Chevy Chase is right now, but you know there is like the West End, which is kind of cool. That has restaurants and things like that, and then the downtown area where the where the arch is itself is also really cool and has some historic things. To be honest, I'm really glad I live in Chevy Chase because I'm kind of like a city girl.
0: And Alicia, what took you from St. Louis? to eventually to end up in Chevy Chase.
2: My mom's name is Lori, and she's my best friend. And we lived together in Chevy Chase. And we were in St. Louis. And one day we were just like, you know what? Let's leave. Let's leave. And we started thinking of different cities to go to. And I was like, I can, I can find a Baskin Robbins in Chevy Chase.
0: Is that because you... You were hungry for ice cream? or
2: No, no, I work there. That's where I work. And I just love it so much. I'm very dedicated to Baskin Robbins. I like Baskin Robbins. Oh, my God. It's so wonderful, isn't it? Don't they have like over 30 flavors? They do. And, you know, don't get me started on Ben & Jerry's, okay? Because Ben & Jerry's actually stole flavors from us. I really, really try to tamp down my anger about this, okay? Because I just want to have nice things in my life. But every once in a while... I'll- a customer will say something like, oh, I wish you had Chubby Hubby. And I just want to scream. But I don't, of course, because that's not how I want to be in the world. But I just want to scream that they
1: stole Chubby Hubby from us. It was our flavor. Yeah, the Chubby Hubby flavor. I, I think I've, I've had that one, to be honest. I don't, I don't want to focus on it for too long. But I think really my recommendation is like, you can always just make that at home. So I
2: don't know what the big deal is about Ben and Jerry's. I just don't know, but Baskin Robbins is so much better and we're more friendly. And you know, I love the people I work with. It's just, It's been a seamless transition from the Baskin Robbins in St. Louis to the Baskin Robbins in Chevy Chase.
0: Alicia, what do you do at Baskin Robbins? What's your specialty?
2: I deal with the customers when they come in. I I just kind of greet them with a big smile, which is natural for me, you know. And I just say, hey, how are you today? How can I help you? And they kind of go, "Um, I don't know, can I have one or two tastes? And then I'm very happily give them little tastes of whatever they want. And then they finally say, okay, I'll just have a small bowl of vanilla. And I do that. And it's just, it's really fun. I meet all sorts of people and I have repeat customers and, you know, it's just super fun.
0: Lydia was talking before about uh, the vegan marshmallows. And I wondered from a professional ice cream person, Alicia, whether you think veganism has ruined the American ice cream experience.
2: Well, for vegans, yes. But, not for everyone else. You know, I mean, it's actually even more of like a sinful food now, you know,
0: it's not allowed by some people. Exactly. And so therefore, exactly. Yeah. Can't go there with mixed company.
1: I did want to say, uh, Alicia, you mentioned before that you lived in you grew up in Missouri with your mother and your father. And you said only you and your mother moved to Chevy Chase. It makes me really sad. And I try not
2: to think about it just because I want to have positive things in my life. But they did get a divorce okay, and that was when I was three and I actually don't have contact with my dad anymore. You know, me and my mom are doing fantastic. You know what I mean? Like I talked to her about everything. She's my best, best, best friend. We have four cats. I have a bunch of doll houses with people in it. I mean, like we are doing, we have our own little
1: community. It's great. I, we don't need my father. We just, we don't need him. And I'm so sorry. I did not mean to open a whole thing. Oh not at all. That's okay. No, I'm here to talk. Great. Offline I would love to see some of your dollhouses. Yeah, I have different themes for each one. I have
2: seven dollhouses and they all are populated with pets and people and I have different themes so I di- I paint them different colors and have different interior designs. It's really great. It's a, it's a whole community. I have a bunch of friends. That sounds really special.
0: Let's Take a quick break, and we will be right back to talk some more with our guest this week, Alicia Nicely. Be right back. Hey, optophobes. Do you know what the liver does? It regulates chemical levels in the blood and then produces bile to remove the waste products. The liver is essentially a filter for the intestines. Gross. Think of all the stuff that gets caught up in a swimming pool filter. Wiffle balls, hare, little frogs, turkey legs, Shia LaBeouf, dead mice. The liver filters out all those things, too. Chickens and geese have especially powerful livers, so they're super great for humans to eat, typically in the form of pâté. Pâté is made by removing the veins, membrane, and gristle from the liver, combining that with spices, herbs, salt, and then cooking the fat and meat into a paste. That's where most manufacturers stop. But we've gone further, combining pate with pineapple juice and some carbonation to create pineapple pate squirt, part of our Meat Pops line of sodas. Meat Pops are a great way to drink your lunch to save time. And of course, we've added a touch of venom to our pineapple pate squirt, this time from the Caspian Cobra, which, yes, can cause weakness, slurred speech, decreased heartbeat, and throat paralysis. But all of that is easily treated, and the dash of peppermint flavor from the venom is totally worth it. So, if you're feeling peckish this week and you want your lunch in a can, go grab a six-pack of pineapple pate squirt. I say go grab a six-pack, but that's harder than it sounds because no retailer will carry our products. So, Come down to our headquarters at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters Elder Care Community in Shalimar County, Florida, and we'll sell you some. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your thirst using snakes. Okay, we are back with our guest for this week, Alicia Nicely. Alicia, you were you were talking about your career that you feel very strongly about at Baskin Robbins. But I want to get to the incident, I guess you would call it, that happened to you recently that connects you to this movie, Relentless. I wonder if you can describe that incident and kind of set the scene about what happened.
2: This is the first time I've talked about it since it actually happened. Of course, I talked to my mom about it. But other than that, I haven't talked about it. So this this might be a little raw, but I am here to talk. Um... It was Black Friday and me and my mom decided to go shopping of course not for gifts per se but just to like buy stuff for ourselves so we were in the gap at Fair Oaks mall and
0: And Alicia when was this sorry
2: This is Black Friday 2018 Okay and we went to the gap and I was just in love I love the gap I love the gap there's so many different colors and I found this really cute fitted purple sweatshirt so I wanted to try it on cuz I wasn't absolutely sure it would fit and I went into one of those dressing rooms that are like really big. They have a whole bench in it and stuff, but the door didn't lock, which was weird. But I thought, "You know what? It's just one article of clothing. I'm just going to I'm just going to try it on." And then the door swung open and I looked up and there's this woman and she was this is just all going in slow motion. She was all in black and she had black combat boots and she had a really long black braid and she had makeup on and she was holding the biggest gun that I've ever seen. And I am not one who studies guns. The only time I've seen them and I don't watch scary movies or action movies because they upset me or war movies, but I have seen a couple movies that have guns in them, and they had that little three inch thing at the end, um, a silencer. And I was like, I couldn't even think, it was just panic zone. And she said in a really low, scary voice, it was like, it was like,
0: this is for Lustig.
2: (gasps) And she shot the gun. It was the scariest moment in my entire life and nothing happened. And so we sat there staring at each other for like, it must've been two whole seconds. I mean, it felt like an eternity, but I realized she didn't have any bullets in the gun. And I just sat there staring at her and I was like, oh my God. And then I kind of came back online and my self-defense training came in, which I hoped I'd never have to use, but here it is. And I need her in the groin. Very sensitive area. Yes. So she just, felt, and I took the opportunity, like, like, of course I did. I just ran out and I found my mom and I was like, mom, she has a gun. Oh my God. And then the mall cop came in. And arrested her, and the whole thing was just over in two seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And I just was like, I almost died today
1: at the Gap. Oh my God! If I'm going to die anywhere, it better be at Triple B. Exactly. It matters where you are, right?
0: Wow. So, Alicia, what did you see? you said there were a couple seconds there where you both realized that the gun didn't didn't work or didn't have any bullets in it? What would you say this person's Face was like,
2: yeah, her eyebrows were like really raised up and her eyes got really wide. And then she had this like whole expression change where she kind of just soured. You know what I mean? She kind of wilted. And I was like, she just realized she didn't have any bullets either. And we had this like mutual understanding of the changing dynamic in this gap clothing changing room. That a shift yes it was a very long very short two seconds
0: yeah so you went from being in the defensive posture into the i guess the aggressor still defending yourself but suddenly she was all crumpled on the floor
2: she was crumpled, and she was kind of saying "ow," oh, and the gun had dropped. And she said something about Lustig, you know, like another name. But it was it was it was more like it was whimpering at this point. And but then after that, I just like ran out and was trying to get the mall cop.
0: And what did you think when you heard this name, Lustig?
2: I had no idea. And to tell you what, I'm really really freaking out because today's introduction was the first time I had known what happened because I didn't want to deal with this at all. I went down to the police station and I gave him my statement and I said, sir, his name was John. I said, John, sir, do not contact me about this case. So I don't even know. I, all I know about this case is that her name was Sarah
0: pinch. Yeah. The way that we found Alicia was because the producers have been scouring Newspaper clippings, uh, police records for anybody who had come into contact with any kind of violence where the name Lustig was used. And uh, so our producers called Alicia and luckily we got her on the show. But I didn't realize that you didn't know anything about the context or history.
2: It's like when I get into a sour mood, I just kind of like lose myself and so I just decided I'm going to shut the door on
1: this. So this this woman, what was this woman's name again? With the weapon, it was Sarah Pinch. Sarah Pinch. I'm trying to think. Daniel Fielding. Does that name reminisce with you at all?
0: I was wondering whether that might have been one of the crew members on Relentless. I am
1: honestly thinking that that name is so familiar. Sarah Pinch. Hold on. Or somebody.
0: Borrowing that name from the credits, maybe. I don't know. It does sound familiar. Do you
1: guys mind really quick if I do this like really it's kind of strange, like way that I like trigger memories? Sure. Do you mind really yeah. quick? Okay. I have to do a lot of repetition. Sarah pinch, Sarah, pinch, pinch, Sarah, 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 pinch, pinch, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah pinch, pinch, Sarah, pinch, Sarah, pinch, Sarah, pinch, pinch, pinch lustig, pinch, sarah. Oh my god. Oh, my God. What happened? Okay. So on the set particularly because I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of people in the movie are sweating. Okay. They're always stressed or, you know, they're being manic. And so they had a specific blotter being paid on the set of Relentless. And the name of the blotter was Sarah Pinch.
0: So Lydia, blotter is a like a role on a movie set? Yes.
1: Just like you, you see in, in the credits. You see like Key Grip. Yep. You would also see someone at say Blotter or Junior Blotter. I believe that Sarah Pinch, I would have to go back and check some of my journals, but I I really do think that Sarah Pinch was the lead blotter.
0: That leads to another question is whether Alicia's attacker was Sarah Pinch the actual blotter or... Was the attacker somebody who watched Relentless?
1: Saw the credits,
0: triggered by the subliminal messages, saw the credits, and took that name as their oh my god, serial killer nickname?
1: Stolen (gasps) identity of Sarah Pinch, the lead blotter. Oh my god, I was almost killed by a blotter, a
2: wannabe, a blotter wannabe.
0: That's very twisted.
1: Ugh! I am Alicia, I am so sorry that that happened to you. And, and you know, the one thing I will say is thank goodness for your contextual knowledge to know that that was a silencer. I know I, I was, it scared the poop out of me, but you know, at the time I was like, oh no. Wait, you said scared the poop out of you. Did you defecate? I, what? It's okay. We don't need to open it up. We don't need to open it up. No, no, no.
2: I'm here. I want to be strong. I want to be strong. I have to admit that I did need to go to the bathroom and clean up afterwards. It was down at the station. I had to drive in the cop car, and then I had to go down there. Thank God I wasn't wearing white or anything. Oh, thank God. And I
1: later learned learned that that's actually a natural response to trauma. I'm sure that it absolutely is. I've never been in that situation, and honestly, I wouldn't want to be in that situation, especially at the gap.
0: Alicia, your mom has been such an important force in your life. I wonder what her reaction was after this attack.
2: She just could not stop hugging me. I mean, I love my mom and we hug all the time, but it was like, okay, mom, (laughs) I made it. I'm alive. So she came with me in the car down to the police station. And then when we got home, we started talking about security measures around the house for that, that night and the next two weeks afterwards, we just kept going over and over this whole thing about should we get should we get a security system? Because we have no idea how many other Sarah Pinches there are.
0: Wow! If there are more Sarah Pinches out there, I wonder if there is an organized group of people who took that crew blotter member's name and they are they have spread around the country. Trying and failing to kill people. Oh,
1: my God. What if that's happening? What if there's like 50 Sarah Pinch wannabes around? I'm going to do myself a favor, and I'm going to go tonight to my Facebook, and I'm going to find the original Sarah Pinch. And if I can't find her in there, I have to go deep, deep into my diaries because I love to journal. And I will find because every single person that I work with from the movie, I wrote down their name, their current address and their phone number. And so if if I cannot find her easily readily on my Facebook feed, I will have to do some deep diving into the paperwork that I have. And again, Daniel, I don't know if you remember, but remember, I took there was so many paperworks from the show, from the movie that they were just going to throw out. And so I was like, well, I'll take it. I'll store it. Right. So I still have all that stuff. So I will do myself some deep digging.
0: Well, Alicia, unfortunately, we're out of time. Oh, no. But I wanted to ask you one more question. And that is just after this attack, it uh, sounds like it was extremely traumatic, how you kind of entered, re-entered your life as a Baskin Robbins creator.
2: To be honest, every time I was in Baskin Robbins and the door opened, I kind of freaked out and had like a shudder. And sometimes I would actually shake a little bit. But my coworkers were super, super supportive. It just, it was really hard because people come in through the door all the time, you know? And if I go in the bathroom, there's a door there too. And I, it's just, every time I'm in a room where there's a door, it just feels like anything could happen. You know what I mean? You never know
1: who wants ice cream.
0: Alicia, what was the first flavor ice cream you had right after this attack?
2: It was orange mango. It was orange mango. And I just, I thought I didn't want something too heavy. Normally I go for the heavy, but this time I just wanted something light, almost sorbet like, because I just wanted to like be really easy on myself.
1: I will say that's really interesting that that's the flavor you picked because that was the flavor that William Lustig would always have for breakfast. Oh my gosh. Yes. He loved orange mango. Instead of a smoothie in the morning, he would prefer to have like a sorbet-like ice cream. Oh, my gosh. I have it here on a list of things that I used to get for William Lustig. My paperwork is endless. I told you that.
0: Wow. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there for this week. I want to thank our guest, Alicia Nicely. Alicia, thank you for coming on the show and telling your story
2: thank you so much to both of you for having me i actually feel so much better now well
0: thank you again for coming and i also want to thank my co-host lydia coffee matey lydia thanks again for being a co-host on the show of
1: course anytime daniel fielding and of course i will be doing my research on the side of my home shopping
0: yeah bring it in next time we talk please join us next week when our guest will be carlotta bianchi Principal viola player for the Chugwater Philharmonic String Quartet in Chugwater, Wyoming. Carlotta was one of the musicians hired to record the relentless score we talked about last week with Brad Meglin, who wrote that piece of music for director William Lustig. We're excited to have Carlotta on the show because she's made some waves online recently with an essay on Medium in which she admitted to improvising some musical arrangements while recording the score. In her essay, Carlotta said she played C-A-F-E, then D-E-C-A-F, then D-E-D on her viola to add to Lustig's subliminal messages. In the essay, she wrote, I wanted to be a part of his vision and not just as a viola player. I wanted to encourage a potential serial killer to murder people ordering decaf in coffee shops. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Daniel Fielding, and I will leave you with this. Only place another log on the fire if you're sure it will spark a revolution. If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at, at optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to JJ Jackson, who played Alicia Nicely. JJ performs with Press Play, Mystery Scarf, and Washington Improv Theater Ensemble Team, Poetic Resistance. She also runs a monthly improv jam for women called Bagels and Jam. Thank you to Erin Murray, who played Lydia Coffee Mate. Erin performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater House Ensemble, and The Lodge. Follow her on Instagram at at B. Murray. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Keep them open.